We want to welcome you to our Easter service here today. I want to jump right in. I want to let you know what's sort of happening for the rest of the day. So I'm going to give my Easter sermon, and then afterwards we are going to have baptism. Okay? There are five folks in our church. Yeah, you clap for that. There are, thank you, there are five folks in our church this morning that we are going to baptize, and uh, right before we baptize them, you'll also see their testimony video, so we've got a, a full plate, um, and uh, we're really excited that you're here. Um, this morning, um, the passage that we're going to read, Jacob, will you help me with the table and the chair? I appreciate that. Um, it's, it's from the Gospel of Mark, but before we turn to that, I, I want to say this as a sort of a preface introduction. You know, the challenge and the glorious thing about preaching on Easter Sunday is that you've got a wide diversity of audience. Do you know what I mean? There are folks here for whom you're not a Christian, you don't consider yourself religious or spiritual, but you're here this morning because, you know, your friend said, I'll buy you lunch after, right? So... Yeah, you know I'm talking to. So you're here, and we're glad that you're here, okay? We're glad that you're here. I know that this is sort of like, okay, punishment for the next hour or so. So I just have to endure through this time, and then you got lunch. So I'll try and do my deal as soon as I can. But if you know me, I'm not going to be that quick. Anyway, so uh, we're, gonna, we're glad that you're here. And then there's some of us who are Christian, but let's be real. We're, the question we're asking is, Easter, so what? You know? Because I would contend to many of you today that the Easter and the resurrection of Christ has not resonated with your heart and your soul yet. You may know it in your head. Because if it really resonated with you, and David Swanson, by the way, he kind of freaked me out today. I didn't know he had that in him, you know. He's kind of the quiet, mild David Swanson. He's up there going, Jesus! I'm like, whoa, where'd that come from? Man is possessed with the Holy Ghost. Thank you. Anyway, so he was, he was really just like into it. I'm like, I st- I'm standing back there and you got to know David. He's not just doing that for sure. He's doing that because he means it. I'm going, his life has been changed and transformed by the gospel and by the truth of the resurrection. That's how we respond. I'm telling you, I don't, for those of you who are just mild manner, you know, hands in our pockets, quiet Asian folks and other, you know, like, you know, we, when the truth of the resurrection resonates with us, man, it's like, ah, you know, yeah, and the truth is that many of us, we know it here, we don't, so then, and then for many of us, we know all this stuff, but the truth of the resurrection hasn't resonated with us because we're not living the kind of missional lives that the resurrection calls us to. Because the resurrection says, Jesus Christ has risen, the world is a different place. We've got a mission to bring forth this, this work that Christ started and he's going to finish. To heal, to restore, to redeem. And so, yeah, so I, anyway, all that to say, I've got lots of ground to cover, so let's just jump in, okay? Mark chapter 16. I won't go long, I p- promise. <laughs> Relatively speaking. Mark chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, look, can I just say real quick, you know, because um, one of the things I'm going to talk about, even for Christians too, for those of us that look at the, the event of the resurrection and go, come on, did that really happen? I mean, that really happened. I know I've been taught that in Sunday school, and I kind of want to believe it. There's a number of historical th- it, it, things that we can point to. This is one of them, what I just read. So here's the thing. The very people that followed Jesus, be- believed Jesus, and walked around three years, even they couldn't believe it. You know what I mean? I mean, Jesus said uh, over and over, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise. I'm going to die, I'm going to rise. I'm going to die, I'm going to rise. For crying out loud, his enemies believed him. That's why they put, you know, soldiers at the gate. Soldiers at the gate. <laughs> soldiers at the tomb. 
I don't know where my mind is this morning. But anyway, they put soldiers at the tomb because they're like, you know, he said that. It may happen, may not. But, you know, we just want to Disciples are like, third day? Oh, didn't Jesus say something about, right? No, no, it's not even on their minds. Why? We'll get to that in a minute, okay? Here we go. So very on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance? They think he's dead. They think he's dead. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side. And they were amazed, alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him, but go, go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. This is God's word. Hey, would you agree that we're people of, uh, we're, would you agree that, 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 that we are people of hope? And here's what I mean by that. That it is absolutely critical for how we live our present day lives that we have hope for something in the future. Would you agree that's true? That the degree to which you, you have a hope and a belief in future, that something in the future will mean something, will, will signify something, will bring about something, the extent to which you believe that will affect the way you live today. Let me give you an example. Uh, just a kind of a, a simple example. If there's two guys who've been hired to do the same job for one year, it's the same menial, dirty, nasty, you know, d- poor lighting, d- poor work environment, just, you know, just... You, just terrible work environment. And one guy's promised at the end of that one year, $15,000 for his work. The other one has promised $15 million for his work. Let me ask you something. Do you think they'll approach this out the same way? Church? No. No, of course not. Come on, think. You know what I mean? One guy, the $15,000, he's going to work. He hates going to work. He's late. He's always, you know, he's complaining. He hates what he's doing. And the other guy, he's whistling at work. You know, he loves what he's doing. He gets to work early. Wants to leave late. Why? They're believed in future. Now, that's just kind of a monetary thing. Maybe some of you guys don't connect with the monetary thing because you're like, money doesn't mean anything to me, you know? 15,000, 15 million, it doesn't really matter. That's you. There's something wrong with you. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, Victor Frankl. Victor Frankl. It was a doctor. Uh, he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And here's the thing about this book. It's kind of t- retelling of his experience in the Nazi concentration camp. Okay. So he wrote this book detailing kind of, and sort of, sort of explaining and sort of telling of, 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 that, of what he experienced and what he went through. And, and, here's, and here's what he says. And this is powerful, powerful. Okay. Um, he wrote, some prisoners withered and died in this concentration camp. Others stayed strong. If a prisoner lost faith... In his future, he was doomed. He talks about a friend. I had a friend in camp who had a dream that the war would end March 30th. And he was just convinced that the dream was a revelation. But as the date drew near, it became clear from the news reports that the war was not ending. On March 29th, he began running a temperature. March 30th, he lost his consciousness. March 31st, he was dead. His loss of hope had lowered his body's resistance to all the diseases in the camp. You better believe that how we think about our future affects how we live today. We can't live without hope. Your hope, your believed in future is a real thing that forms the way you live right now. Now check this out. Your ultimate hope and your ultimate future is the most formative thing in your life. Your ultimate hope and your ultimate future is the most formative thing in your life. He also says this. This is powerful. He, 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 says, he talks about how some prisoners withered up and died while others stayed strong. Others stayed strong. 
Uh, some collaborated with the enemy and, and sold their countrymen, but other people actually stayed strong and figured out a way to help other people who were also suffering. And then he writes this, one last quote. He says, um, life in the concentration camp exposes your soul's true foundation. Only a few prisoners were able to keep their full inner liberty and inner strength. Life only has meaning in any circumstances if we have a hope that neither suffering or circumstances or death itself cannot destroy. Life only has hope. Life only has meaning today. You, your life only has meaning today if you have built your hope, your life on something that you know circumstances can never take it away. So if you build your entire life on finances and money, you're going to always have a note of anxiety. Why? Because circumstances and events and anything that, anything that can happen and did happen, didn't it? To which your ultimate hope is shattered. So he asked this guy, right? He asked one of his guys who actually not only stayed strong, but this guy gave of his life and helped people and, and, and looked out for other people in this concentration camp. He said, why are you doing that? This is what he said. He said, I always remember that my wife who had been killed and he believed in the concept of heaven after life. He said, I always believed that my wife might be looking down on me. Or God might be looking down on me. And I don't want to disappoint them. You know why this is so powerful? Check this out. Your ultimate hope in your ultimate future, if it rests on anything that is perishable, anything that can go any minute, anything that can be changed by events or circumstances, anything, relationships, career, money, marriage, family, job, success, you name it. If your life is built on anything, you will always have a note of anxiety. Why? What happens when circumstances and events that does take them away go? Now, this is simple sort of logic if you think about it, isn't it? So my question this morning amongst many is, what are you building your hope on? I've seen parents whose lives were devastated. You know why? Because their hope Their hope ultimately rested on their children. But what happens when your children don't turn out the way you want them to? You're devastated. So, here's the great news about Christianity. You ready? Where does our hope lie? Isn't that cool? Our hope lies on not just a person but an event that is unshakable by circumstances, events, and hello, even death. Even death couldn't keep him down. Our hope rests and lies in something that is unshakable and the extent and degree to which your hope lies on the person and the work of Jesus Christ is the extent to which you will live your life with poise, with grace, and with strength, and with confidence. Hmm? Yeah. So where's your hope lie on? See, here's the thing about Christianity. You ready? Christianity is not about a set of teachings or more examples to follow. It wasn't a philosophy, you know. Christianity is founded on an event. It's founded on an event. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, came, died on the cross. Third day, crying out loud, he rose again. Literally, bodily. Not symbolically, not metaphorically, not spiritually. He physically, literally rose again from the dead, conquering sin, death, and evil. Our faith rests on that truth. In fact, okay, so here's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm addressing, first and foremost, those of us, even Christians or not, who go, did that really happen? Come on now. Did it really happen? Wasn't there some legend? Wasn't there some myth? Wasn't there some, somebody figured out? 
well, I want to talk to you for a minute this morning. Is that okay? Well, actually, more than a minute, just a few minutes, okay? I found myself spending a lot of time on this this morning, and, and sure enough, I had a bunch of people come up this morning and say, I brought a friend who's not a Christian atheist. He was once hostile to Christianity, and what you shared this morning was what he needed to hear, because it wasn't just, you know. See, here's the thing about Christianity. You ready? It's, a, it's such a misnomer, and it's actually just a flat-out false thing to say, you know, Christianity is about blind faith. Just believe. I'm sorry, but that doesn't help, does it? Come on, can we, can we be real here? That doesn't help. Like, just, just believe? Just believe what? Jesus loves No! Our faith, think, people, our faith is founded on a historical event. Okay? So the author of Mark... <laughs> I'm telling you, man, children, kids in our church are the most vocal, most affirming people to a preacher. You know what I mean? The adults are like... And the kids are like, Yes! Here in this text, okay, here in this text, there are three words I want you to think about today. Think, embrace, and then go. Think, embrace, and then go. Think. First of all, the Gospel of Mark challenges us to think, okay? Why? In verse 6, verse 6, the Gospel uh, writer says something that all the other Gospel writers say, that is, he is risen. He is risen. He's no longer here. Go. He is risen. Every Gospel writer intentionally draws attention to this, that Jesus Christ was physically and literally raised from the dead. Now, because this is a hinge upon which your faith Christian rests on, and upon which if you're not a Christian and you want to be a Christian or interested, that it hinges on, I need to talk to you about this. Here are the two most common objections. I can talk about like four, but two most common objections I just want to address briefly this morning on why people don't think the resurrection really happened. First objection goes something like this. It's a legend. It's a legend. It's a legend that people made up. You know, way after, years, years after it happened, people just wanted to start this movement, give credibility, so they just made this story up. First of all, Gospel of Mark, along with other Gospels, were written anywhere 20 to 40 years after the death of Jesus. That's significant for a reason. I'll, give you, I'll tell you in a minute. Now, Mark challenges the assumption that it was just a legend that you just kind of, you know, couldn't really believe in. Because throughout his text, chapter 15, verse 40, verse 47, chapter 16, verse 1, three times in eight verses, he writes out, did you notice the names of women who saw Jesus alive. I saw names of women who saw Jesus alive. And this is all the marks of history and not legend. This is how people wrote history and not legends. Here's the reason why. If you wanted to write history, okay, you wrote down names of the people. Why? Because whatever they wrote about can be corroborated via eyewitnesses and cross-examination. So Mark's writing down names of these people. You know what it is? It's, it's, it's essentially footnotes. It's citations. He's saying to these people, hey, you know what? Jesus Christ really rose from the dead. Here are the names of the people that saw it, and yet you, they're still alive today. You know, it'll take you a couple days to get to where they're at, but you can go find out for yourself. In a most public document, 20, 30 years after the death of Jesus, Mark writes the names of the people who says they're still alive. Go check it out. Go check it out. Here's the other thing that's amazing about this, right? Um, this is, so, this is so funny. You know, for those of you that are like interested in kind of the stuff like this, um, um, it's significant that Mark and all the gospel writers mention names of women. Does anybody know why? Celsus. Celsus was a Greek pagan philosopher who lived about 80 years after the death of Jesus. This guy was incredibly antagonistic towards Christianity, okay? He wrote a number of books trying to refute Christianity, okay? Now, one of the reasons... One of the strongest arguments in his mind for why Christianity couldn't be true, I quote one of his books. One of the reasons why we know that the accounts of the resurrection can't be true is because the accounts are based on the testimony of women. Listen, I'm not, he writes, and we all know women are hysterical. 
to all the male chauvinistic men, you know, in that culture, like, yeah, they are hysterical. <laughs> We're talking about a culture in which women's testimony wasn't even allowed in the court of law. Do you know that? Because it was unreliable. After all, they're historical, emotional, you know. Kinda... Why in the world would Mark, if he wants to advance the credibility of the Christian movement, write down names of people, women, who the culture said we could never trust their testimony? Why would he do that? He did that because it, what, happened. An, uh, another example, um, uh, Paul, Apostle Paul, who also writes about this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says there are hundreds of people who saw him, talked to him, put their fingers in his nail prints. Hundreds of people. He says over 40 days, over 500 people, he says at one time, saw him alive. They saw him. And he has the audacity to say in 1 Corinthians 15, and again, a document that was about 30, 32 years after the death of Jesus. He says, and most of them are still alive. You know what he's doing? He's saying, look, Pax Romana, you could travel. It's easy to travel. You know, communication has never been easier. Here's what he's saying. Look, he's saying all these people saw Jesus alive. And check this out. It's only happened 20, 30 years ago. They're still alive. So here's what I want you to do. If you want to verify whether it happened or not, go for yourself. Talk to the people. They're still living. Eyewitnesses. And check for yourself on whether this really happened or not. It was a public document. He says, go. Go do it. I mean, I can go list on and on and on, but the reality is this. Mark is challenging you and he's challenging me. And he's saying, this is not legend. This is not some fictional thing that people made up to advance something. This is history. There are men and women who saw him alive, and they're still alive. Go check it out. Now, here's, let's get real practical here. If you're not a Christian, you're going, eh, you know, I mean, they got it because they really wanted to believe that he was true. They really wanted to believe that he was alive. So they got it through wishful thinking. No, they didn't get it through wishful thinking. They got it through thinking. They didn't have to wish anything. It was true. These people sat down and said, why would these people say that it's true unless it really happened? I'm going to go check it out. Was it a hoax? Could be a hoax because people are dying for this thing. Why would somebody die for a lie? Nobody dies for a lie. Hallucination? I've said this before. People don't hallucinate in groups. 500 people can't hallucinate at the same time. You know, whoa, we saw it. You too? Us? Uh, 500 people? No. Hallucinations? No. So you have to think. I'm not saying you have to believe. I'm just telling you. Think if you're not a Christian. What is the possible reason that these men and women believe and started a movement that changed the world history? If you don't want to believe this, then you have to come up with an alternate explanation for why a group of people gave their entire lives to start a movement and said that Jesus Christ was alive. You know what I mean? So Christians, think. Not Christians, if you're not a Christian, you're testing this thing. Is this true? Mark says, think. Okay, can, can, I, can I press you a little bit? Is it, I don't press you. Okay, so here's what I really think is happening. You ready? Because I have people come to me and go, you know what? I really want to believe that's true, but I don't have faith like that. I'm not a person of faith. I'm not a man or woman of faith. I, the resurrection faith, I don't have faith like, here's what I would say to you. And it was just a little, just a little hard this morning. Michael, was it a little hard? I could, just a little bit, okay. Because I don't mean to offend, but I'm probably going to. Because here's what's happening. Resurrection faith, listen, resurrection faith is not creating faith that you don't think you have. Resurrection faith is transferring faith that you already have in something to something else. Now, check this out. Here's what I don't mean. Because if you grew up in church, Sunday school, you know, they say things like, everybody has faith, you know. Come on, sit on that chair. 
because as you sit on that chair, you know, you have faith that the chair's going to hold up, right? And we're like, oh, yeah, we all have faith, you know, <laughs> you know, or you, you get on an airplane, you know, you believe that sucker will fly through the air, right? You have faith. Oh, come on. Okay, I guess, yeah, we all have faith. But here's what I mean by that. Here's what I mean. You know what I really think is happening for a lot of us? Resurrection faith is not transfer of, is, is transfer of faith, not creation of it. Here's what I think. The reality is all of us have incredible faith, irrational faith, fierce faith in our ability to be our own gods. We have fierce faith that we can judge for ourselves what is true, what isn't true, what I will accept, what I won't accept. We have fierce, irrational faith in our ability to run our own lives. See, that's why I say, you know, kind of, it's like, oh, you know, some, some people are like, how dare you say, it? no, no, I'm just, I'm just saying, you know. We have fierce faith. We do. But a lot of times it's where it's appropriated and placed. Do you know what? This is the thing. Here's the thing about Jesus Christ that's hard, right? When you approach Jesus Christ, see, if he's really who he said he is, he's the son of God who died and rose again from the dead, you can't just approach him objectively like, you know, I'll take you, I won't take you, I'll live my life, maybe not. No, if Jesus Christ is who he really said he is, when you approach him, you realize that actually you don't have control over your life. Because he's king, he's Lord. And who of us is rational when it comes to who's in control of our lives. Which one of us, Christian or not, is really objective and rational, you know, when it comes to who runs my life? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Even as I'm saying this, some of you are getting really, really, I've been really getting upset, right? You're going, how dare you tell me that, oh, yeah. We have fierce, irrational faith that we are capable of running our own lives. Thank you very much. See, you are a person of faith. You are a man or woman of faith. My question to you is, it's not a matter of whether you have faith. Does this make sense at all? Yeah? So if you're a skeptic and you're a doubter, I'm asking you this morning just to consider, be a skeptic of, of your own skepticism and go, maybe my faith is really not about intellectualism. It makes sense. Can I believe it? Maybe my faith is the fact that I have faith in my own ability. You know, Paul says this. He said it more eloquently. Rome, Paul's in Romans 1. He says, we were all created in such a way that we know deep in our soul that we are created by God. We are his creation and we owe him ultimate allegiance and we need to live our lives for his glory. But because we don't want to do that, we suppress that truth. To be our own gods. This is why it's so hard to become a Christian. It's not faith that it happened. Becoming a Christian is saying, my faith in myself and my ability in my God to my faith in the Son of God who gave his life for me. And boy, that's hard, isn't it? Oh, that's hard. Think. Think. That's, that's all the gospel writers saying. Think. Resurrection faith, transfer of faith, not creation of it. You already got a lot of trust in yourself or you wouldn't be doubtful who Jesus is, who he said he was. You wouldn't be scared that Jesus is who he is unless you already are sure that you could be your own master. Secondly, Mark says, embrace. Embrace. There's a word of grace for the heart. I love this part. Sandra, I love this part. This is my favorite part of Easter. Well, second favorite part. It's like Christmas, you know, I say the same thing over Christmas. I could say this every Easter. There's a word of grace. What do I mean? Look at verse 7. Go and tell his disciples and Peter where you will see him. You will see him. Do you see the word of grace that is? Do you see the word of grace? What do I mean? Jesus is saying to these disciples, he said, I will see you. I have a plan for you. Who are the disciples? 
Who are the disciples? If I was Jesus, I'd be like, you go tell them disciples that backstabbing, worthless, cowardly people. <laughs> but if they grovel, and they better really, really grovel. Oh, they better grovel. They better, oh, we are so sorry. Are you really sorry? You better be. If they really, really grovel and make themselves feel really bad, then I might restore. That's not Jesus. That's never Jesus. What is Jesus? He says, uh, I know you've jacked it up big time, but you know what? I will see you. I know you deny me, but you know what? And you scattered when I was in most need of my friends, when I was in the most critical need for people who love me and care for me to be there. You all abandoned me, but you left. And Jesus says, even you, I will see you. Do you know why he's doing that? Because here's the gospel. Gospel doesn't say, you come and you clean yourself, you make yourself right, you make yourself moral before God could accept you. God says, I accept you as you are. that good news to you brother the gospel says come as you are come as you are you made a mess of your life you've broken come as you are because as you come as you are in him he lived the life you should have lived died the death you should die and in him he accepts you as you are and then he cleans you and then he makes you whole see this is why he says such good news do you know what the resurrection is resurrection is check this out it's a cosmic receipt Resurrection is a cosmos. You know what the resurrection says? Paid in full. Why did Jesus Christ rise from the dead? Here it is. You ready? Why did Jesus Christ rise from the dead? Because God the Father looked at his work of dying for the sins of mankind and paying the penalty. And God said, it's finished. You no longer need to be dead. Rise. It's a cosmic receipt that says to you and me, Christian, so what? What's the big deal of Easter Sunday? It means that you and I can stand today and know there is there for now no condemnation ever, ever, ever for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. You stand today uncondemnable. Not tomorrow when you do better. Not next week when you perform better. But today, because Jesus Christ has risen you stand uncondemnable. You stand undisapprovable. There's nothing they can do to separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing. Paid in full. No more payment coming. It's like walking out of Best Buy with your stuff. And the security guy says, receipt, check this out. Paid in full. Let me go. <laughs> Get out of here with my stuff. With the lame, you know, lame yellow highlighter, you know. Like, they even look at that stuff. You know what I mean? It's like their job. Some guys don't even. But God says, paid in. So you know what? So what? You say Easter Sunday. What does this mean? How much does your heart want to just burst out? Just burst out of your soul. Heart. Burst out of your body. Your heart just, your heart just want to just, as you think about the fact that because he is risen, that means that regardless of who I am, no matter what I've done, I can stand here today uncontemnable, undisapprovable. I can stand here today absolutely beautiful, delightful in God's eyes. Oh, man. I can walk out of here with a sense of joy. I can walk out of here skipping, knowing that Jesus Christ has risen. And you know what? For me, there's another special word here. Because he doesn't just say, tell the disciples. He says, tell the disciples and Peter. 
you know why it's powerful? Because here's the thing. If the angels had just said, tell the disciples, I will see them, and the, angel, and, and, or the women went and told the disciples, hey, we saw Jesus Christ. Risen. He said, he will see us. Come on, let's go. All the disciples would be like, let's go. Then, then there would have been Peter like, no, no, you guys go. You, you go. Well, why? What's up? What's up? Well, you know, remember I stood up in front of y'all and said, I'm better than everybody here. I will never deny you. And then I did. He can't possibly accept me. He can't possibly receive somebody like me. So you guys go. What does angel say? You tell them disciples. And? Yeah, you too, you big backstabbing coward. <laughs> that's, that's still what I would have done, right? He says, no, no, you go tell Peter. Look, Easter is an amazing day for somebody who has absolutely made a mess of their lives and says, is there hope for me? Easter says what? There is hope for you. Easter's great Sunday for even Christians that walk in and go, you know what? I failed God over and over again. Oh my gosh, I mean, how many more times can I compromise sexually? How many more times can I deny God? How many more times can I run? How many more times can I just leave awake in a path of destructed relationships? How many times can I do that? Can God possibly accept me? Easter Resurrection Sunday says that the answer to that question is an absolute, emphatical yes. There is hope for you. There is hope for you. It's great news. He has risen. He has risen indeed. Yes, he has. Yes, he has. All right. Lastly, there's word go. Word go. There's a word of mission for the whole life. Verse 7. It says, don't be alarmed and go. Go tell the people about the resurrection. Go and communicate in every way that you can about the resurrection. Go. And what did they tell? By the way, can I just say something? Michael, I talked to a handful of people. I said, you know what? In my own little mind, you know, as I prepared the sermon, you know, I was hoping for, you know, arousing towards the end, like, yes, he is risen. It got quieter and quieter and quieter towards the end. I'm like, what's going on? And so people say, I had a bunch of people come up to me and said, man, that just like, you like pierced my heart. And, 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 and it just, I just sat there just thinking about what does this mean for me? What does this mean? One guy even said this. It was very helpful. He's like, I don't need you to go rah, rah, rah. Jesus Christ is risen. Yay, let's go. He said, no, no, no. You need to explain to us how that makes a difference in how we live out our lives every day. So here it goes, okay? What did the disciples go and say? Now I'm going to get to that. What did the disciples go and say? Read the Gospels. Here's what they didn't say. Jesus Christ is risen. Yay, you can go to heaven when you die. Nowhere, nowhere in the Bible does it say that. Or Jesus Christ is risen. Yeah, you can have peace in your heart. Oh, sweet Jesus. No, what do they say? They say Jesus Christ has risen. And check this out. God has started a new thing. God has begun a new world. God has started the process of a new heavens and a new creation, a material world where he is going to come and restore and heal all injustice, all evil, all sin. God has started this massive process called the kingdom of God, where under his rule and reign, everything in all of creation will be healed and restored and made new and made whole. Go tell them that. And it's as if he was saying the resurrection. Apostle Paul says first fruits. He was saying about resurrection. He goes, check this out. Look at Jesus, his resurrected body. His resurrected body. He said, this is the first fruits, Paul says. In other words, what Jesus has gone through in his transformed physical, material body. He ate, 
drink, talk, touch. He says, that's the preview of what's to come for you and the whole world. The whole world. Why is that good news? I'll tell you why it's good news. It means that we're beneficiaries of a new creation. We're beneficiaries. What do I mean? Listen, listen carefully to this. Here's one of the fundamental ways that Christianity is different from other religions of the world. Religions of the world, something along the lines of the ultimate thing is for our soul to be freed up from our body, material, whatever, or this world, and reach a state of consciousness. Even traditional religions, the ultimate goal is that our bodies would remain, our bodies would deteriorate and die, but then our souls would go to heaven. You know what the resurrection says. Listen, if, if this, by the way, is just like, do-do-do-do for you, because I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say like the point is not to go to heaven because heaven is there, but heaven is not the ultimate end. Heaven is a stopping point to the ultimate end, which is a new heavens and new earth, see? And he writes as this, he's not so much interested that God is in life after death. You know, that's the whole die and go to heaven. He's interested in life after, life after death, what comes after heaven. And what comes after heaven is new heavens and new earth. So what does this mean for us, Jesus Christ? Here's what it means. You ready? That means our body, in one sense, will become more solid, more physical. Not less. Okay? That's what the Bible teaches. Our bodies become more physical. N.T. Wright says that Jesus Christ's body was a transphysical body. Transphysical. This morning, I, uh, I, uh, I you know, kind of picked on Pastor Michael because, because people, people ask me, like, so what's it going to be like? New heavens and new earth, one in our bodies. What's it going to be like, you know? Male pattern baldness, you know? Will we have full head of hair? I didn't mean to pick on Pastor Michael. I said, Michael, did you ask me that question? And Michael's like, no. After the service, I had like three other bald guys in our church. Michael's not bald, but two other bald. They came up there and said, why are you picking on us? <laughs> I'm not picking on anybody. You know, it's just cool. But here's what it means. That's kind of one silly example. Here's what it means. N.T. Wright says this. Here's what it means for Jesus to have, to have transphysical body, us to transphysical body, senses. Think about senses. How many senses do we have? We have sense of smell. <gasps> Sense of taste, sense of hearing, sense of sight. Some of us, maybe a little less, because you know where it's going. Um, because, yeah, like my, I, do you guys know I'm deaf in one ear? Kind of, sort of deaf in one ear. Did you know that? Like, not completely? Yeah. Too much rock and roll for like 10 years. Some of y'all know I was in a band. Oh, anyway. So, anyway. So, it is, so I have, but here's what it means. Here's what it means. In heavens, N.T. Wright says this. You're not just going to have four or five restored senses. He says, in heaven, we're going to have a thousand senses. Just wrap your brain around that, will you? That means we're going to blossom in places where we didn't even know we had buds. C.S. Lewis. That's like you comparing yourself right now to a tomato. (laughs) Of what your body will be like in the new heavens and new earth. Is that good news? Now, if you're going, uh, connect it for me. Why is that important? Here's the reason why important. Check this out. Do you know why we don't handle suffering well? Do you know why we don't handle death well? Because we think that that's the end. Do you know why we don't handle it well? Because if this body is the only body we'll ever have, what happens when this body is gone? Devastation. Resurrection says, that body? Oh, please. Please. That body? A thousand senses. Hello? Oh, wow. The reason why we can't sacrifice, we're not more sacrificial, we're not more radical, we're not more radical with our lives, we're not more giving is because if we think this is the only money I'll ever have, this is the only resources I'll ever have, this is the only life I'll ever have, this is the only world we'll ever have, of course you're going to be afraid, of course you're going to be stingy, of course you're going to be scared. But what if you knew that what awaits us is not the end, but awaits us is a more glorified body, a more glorified life in a more glorified world? You wouldn't be scared? Are you kidding me? You would go out there, spend your entire life, everything you have, say, here. Better than coming. 
better than common. Christians are not more radical. They're more bold, more courageous. Because we think that this body is the only body we'll have. This life is the only life we'll have. The resurrection says, what awaits you is not some ethereal spiritual experience. What awaits you, son of child God, what awaits you is a material world of new heavens and new earth. It's not the only life, only body world you have. Is that good news? It is if you believe it. It is if you believe it. Oh, it'll definitely change the way you live today and tomorrow. You'll walk out of here. You'll see differently. You'll see differently. Why would I not want to be more radical? Why would I not want to be more sacrificial? I'm not afraid. Why would I be afraid? Why would I be insecure? (laughs) New heavens and new earth. We are beneficiaries. We are beneficiaries. Uh, one of the things that, that, that has always blessed me, and I think I shared this last Easter too, in terms of how this changes your perspective. How many of you guys are familiar with the woman named Joni Erickson Tata? Anybody? She has a ministry. Yeah. Joni Erickson Tata, check this out. When she was a teenager, she was an athlete. When she was a teenager, she went through a, re- a, a violent car accident, and she became a quadriplegic. This woman has been wheelchair-bound for some 30, 40 years of her life. But she has an amazing ministry, ministering to people, talking about suffering, this world, and what's to come. And this is one of her quotes in one of her books. She says, I suddenly realized that when I get to the wedding feast of the Lamb, the first thing that I'll be able to do on my resurrected legs is to drop down on grateful, glorified knees and kneel quietly before the feet of Jesus. And then she says this, and then? And then I'm going to get on my feet and I'm going to dance. Can you imagine the hope that the resurrection gives someone whose spinal cord was injured like me? Can you imagine the hope that this gives someone who has manic depression? No religion and no other philosophy than biblical faith promises us new bodies and not just renewed minds and hearts. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ do people find such hope in hurting people like me and live. For anybody here today, a Christian, anybody here today, You've suffered because of physical illnesses. And you say, God, when I get to heaven, is the best thing I could hope for. You know what? I'm really sorry you suffered, but they're there. You're, you're in heaven now. Or will God say, the life that you always wanted, but you couldn't live because of your illness, you get it back. If you've experienced emptiness and loneliness in this world, God says you'll experience fellowship, love, and relationship that you've always wanted. Is this good news? Is this good news? This is resurrection good news. Lastly, and this is the reason why I said people were just like, oh, here's the thing. We got to do something about this. Amen? Because here's the thing. If you walked out of here and be like, yeah, that's great. Resurrection body is a thousand senses. Boy, I have no idea what that's going to be like. But boy, that's wonderful news. And I can't wait. If that's all there is to it, That's just as worse as thinking the end of Christianity is about dying and going to heaven when we die. You know what I'm saying? But that's not what awaits us. What awaits us? Check this out. Not only are we beneficiaries, but Jesus Christ comes along and says, this radical mission of God, this radical mission that I created of new heavens and new earth, not only are you beneficiaries, but now you are to be agents of it. You are to be agents of it. What do I mean? You have a job. I have a job. We have a mission. As the Father has sent me, so now I send you. What is our mission? To be good moral people? To come to church and go to small group? No. Our mission is none less than being agents that bring about healing, restoration, renewal in this world. 
They will give a preview and a foretaste of the world that is to come. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you hear what I'm saying? Our mission is to say, where's injustice? Because when the new heavens and new earth comes, there won't be injustice. Let me go ahead and deal with that. Where's oppression? Where's evil? Where's suffering? Where's hurting? Where's need? Let me go to those places and address those needs right now in the power of the Holy Spirit because what I do right now is not in vain. The Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 15 says this. At the end of his resurrection chapter, he doesn't say, there, there. And isn't it great that once Jesus comes back, we're going to go to heaven. You know what he says? He says, therefore, brothers, your labor is not in vain. Work. Work for the kingdom. Paul is saying, you believe that the resurrection happened? That new heavens and new earth has been ushered in and Jesus is going to come and accomplish it and fulfill it? He says, then you will get off your hindsight and you'll be radically for the mission of God. Is that good news? Because when we do that, listen, why do you think? Why do you think? Why do you think? People out there going, resurrection, that's nonsense. They need to see what happened when people believe it happened. Somebody asked a Jewish rabbi, why don't you believe in the resurrection? You know what he said? He said, suffering continues. Injustice continues. Brokenness continues. Jesus possibly couldn't have been the Messiah. Do we have an answer for that, Christians? Do we have an answer for that? See, that's what I'm saying, Michael. Like, towards the end, I'm, I can't read you guys. I'm going, is this something they're going, oh, man, why are you depressing? Or are you being challenged and convicted by this? Hmm? Because here's the thing. I want one to come up to me and go, Peter, you know, when you talk about these grandiose things, there's a part of me that wants to go, oh, it's such an incredibly good idea, but what do I do? Here's what I told her. I said, where are you at right now? And she said, well, my big issue right now is my family just broken. My family's just ripped apart. My family just, and it's just huge, heavily weighing on my heart, Pastor Peter. You know what I said to her? I said, you know what Resurrection Sunday means for you? It means that you become agent of healing in your family. Because by that, people will see. Because here's the thing. I will stand up here and I will say to you, who will be the next William Wilberforce that will lead the way, that will lead the way against injustice of slavery and exploitation? Who will be that? To which some of you guys hopefully go, Jesus has risen. I will be that person. I say, who wants to be the next mother? Teresa. Who will give her entire life for the poorest of the poor. And because you say Jesus is risen, some of you guys go, I will do that. I will be that person. Who will be the next Desmond Tutu? Who as a small, tiny little man went up against the greatest injustice in the last 20, 30 years and said, God has won the victory over sin and death. Who will be the next Desmond Tutu? Who will be the group of people, Christians, followers, Jesus, that will say, he has made the impossible possible. And I want the world to see that new heavens and new earth has come. Are you with me? Are you with me? So yeah, for some of you that resonates with, yes, Mother Teresa, we know, Desmond Tutu, yes, William Wilberforce, I will be. Now that's me, right? I live in that world. I want to be. And for those of you that are like, being more practical, okay, working more practical, that means this. As you leave here today, you need to ask yourself a question. In my sphere, in my influence, in my family, in my workplace, where is there brokenness that I can address with the healing love? Of God, because by that you are saying Jesus has risen. He has risen indeed. So, church, the world says Jesus Christ could have been raised. Eleven o'clock Sunday morning, most segregated hour. People they'll never ever get along across race, class, and gender. 
when you and I be people that genuinely lives lives of reconciliation across race, class, and gender, by that we declare, say it with me, he has risen, he has risen indeed. Two billion people that live in absolute poverty, one dollar a day, one dollar, two billion people in the world, some say more. When you and I say, that's not right, that's not the kingdom, God has come to establish his kingdom to eradicate that once and for all, but I have a call to do, I have a job to do, and when we begin to address that, with our radical lives, we declare, say it with me, he has risen. He has risen indeed. When we choose forgiveness and reconciliation instead of hatred, bitterness, and anger, when we choose to forgive those who have wronged us because the cross of Jesus Christ says that he has overcome that, we declare, say it with me, he has risen. He has risen indeed. It's time that people saw, not just heard, that Jesus Christ is alive today. Will you join me? This is an amazing mission of God we've been called to go. We've been called to go. Okay, so you know, I'll take the whole, this year, you guys didn't all get up and go, yes! You guys all sit there going, man, that's hard stuff. I'll take that. <laughs> Here's what I want to do right now. We're going to hear testimonies, Okay. We're going to hear testimonies of people that are going to be baptized today. Before we do that, I want to pray. Let's pray together. Father, we come today this morning. And Lord, I I actually want to pray at this time for anybody in here that might not know you personally and have a relationship with the risen Jesus Christ, Son of God. Lord, I just pray for that brother and pray for that sister. Don't know where they're at but I'm thankful that they're here and we're able to hear the gospel. I just pray right now, Jesus, that you would reveal yourself to them, that you would make yourself known. You tell us in your word that only you, Holy Spirit, can do that work. So we pray right now in Jesus' name that you would do that work. And Father, I pray for friends who brought their friends who aren't Christians. I pray that you give them much wisdom, give them much discernment as they leave after the service and eat lunch and dialogue and talk that you give them humility, sensitivity, and love to love their friend and to, and to be there for them. And Lord, I pray for any Christian here that may have lost hope because of their illness, because of death of loved ones, because of the harshness of life and the brokenness around them. Fill them with Easter resurrection hope. Fill them with Easter resurrection hope that because you've risen Because you've conquered sin, death, and evil. That this world, this life, this body is not the last. There's a new world coming. A new world dawning. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God will come in its fullness. And that is amazing news. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All God's people said... Amen. We direct your attention to the screens as we are testimonies of our brothers and sisters who will be baptized. Before Christ, I would say that I was self-reliant. My parents divorced when I was eight, and my father struggled a lot with his anger. I turned inward, really, to um, protect myself, and then I really learned to look out for myself. Um, 
I found that I was really good at intellectual pursuits, and that's where I kind of strove um, to find fulfillment. At 15, I started college, and that was a big move for me. Um, it was partly to escape from home and also partly um, just to prove that I could. Um, my first semester went really well, but then um, I wouldn't let people in, really, and I got really depressed. I made some really self-destructive choices, and... Um, I had to withdraw from college for a semester, which was really hard. But during that time, God really um, put some people in my life that changed my perspective. It started with a couple of kindergarten teachers that I worked with, and their love really impressed me. Um, following that, I enrolled at IIT for um, my fall, the fall of my junior year, and um, I got involved with IV, um, not out of any real... <laughs> interest but because they offered me ice cream and I felt kind of obligated but then I kind of stayed involved based on some people that I had met and um, some unusual circumstances I guess but over the next six months I'd say I developed a real relationship with God that changed my perspective um, I remember reading Luke 10 27 that really just kind of influenced me um, which basically says that we should love God and love people now I'd say that I'm connected to people and I'm connected to God and his plan and I'm still learning what that means, but I feel that I'm called to service, and that's a big thing for me. So. Basically, I've always known about God and um, what Jesus accomplished in his lifetime, but I never made a real commitment to follow him until I was 14 years old. I just got to the point in life where I felt like um, well, I was starting to realize that the world really didn't have too much to offer that last in life. So I went ahead and made the commitment at the age of 14. Thankfully, my eyes were opened and I was able to realize the truth of, you know, that life is about serving God through Jesus Christ. And, you know, that truth became everything to me. All I want to do is please God in every way that I can. Um, I always knew that he wanted me to take this step in life, but I never took this step because of pride that I had within myself. To me, it was something that was not required for salvation, so I didn't feel it was necessary to do it. Fortunately now in life, um, my walls of pride are starting to be knocked down, and a new sense of obedience is overcoming me. So I keep in mind um, the verse, John 15, 10, and... I know that through my obedience, God will keep me in his love and mold me into the person that he wants me to be in life. And that is why I'm being baptized. I've been a Christian since childhood, thanks to God using my family and church to bring about my faith in Christ. During my time at Wheaton College, God challenged me and used relationships to shape the ways that I apply my faith to education, vocation, um, and relationships. Through this process, God taught me that Sin was not only tainting my life, but preventing me from full communion with God, and it causes disequilibrium to all facets of creation. I grasp more fully that Jesus loves me and desires to reconcile all of humanity to himself and restore shalom to his creation. His life, death, and resurrection have saving power through grace, and it gives us hope in his kingdom that is already here but not yet fully complete. And I realize that my purpose within the church is to participate with the Holy Spirit in this reconciling work of reconciling creation to the Creator. And I am to proclaim the gospel wherever I am called. I could have been baptized years ago. However, I am glad that I now have this more 
full and complete understanding of the gospel and the sacrament of baptism. I would like to be baptized on Easter for three reasons. One, I wanted to identify myself as redeemed by Christ and justified by His death, life, and resurrection. Two, I am expressing my identity as part of the universal church linked back to the centuries of the apostles. And three, I am dedicating myself to serving this community and wherever else God calls me. The one word I would use to describe my transformation in Christ is center. My whole life has been a process of God uh, centering my entire being uh, on the gospel and on Him. I know that the Holy Spirit will continue this process. I have been blessed with family, friends, uh, my church, and a fiancé that the Holy Spirit will use to continue this process. question I was asked about how Christ has made a difference in my life, and He's given me purpose and meaning to my life to serve Him and only Him. I spent most of my life trying to please others in my life, and usually, you know, it wasn't reciprocated. But I realized through my ups and downs, my successes and failures, that Christ has always been there for me, waiting on me. It's like I felt him tugging at me, tugging at me, like, you know, you got to come towards me. You got to come towards me. And I just finally recognized that last year, Christ came into my bedroom. He called on me, and I broke down. And it was time. I was always trying to be in control of my life, type A personality that I am. And I realized I have to give up all control, all this need for control. It's all in Christ now. And so I'm being baptized because this is like the sacrament that I need to do. I've been wanting to do most of my life. And I'm ready. Before, I kept saying, I'm not worthy. I have too much to clean up in my life. I feel dirty. But I realize now that Christ wants us as we are. He takes us as our, at our lowest point sometime in life. And I'm, I'm truly ready. I'm giving all my heart and soul to Christ. And I thank Him so much for His grace, His love, His mercy. I'm nervous, quite honestly, because I keep saying to myself, I'm just a little speck of dust walking around on this earth. Who am I? But I'm going to try to strive and become more like Jesus because he died for me and so I must give my life in service to him and that I'm thankful for that. If I had to choose a phrase to describe my life before Jesus it would probably be out of place. My father was Catholic and my mom is non-denominational so we were raised in the Catholic Church. It was very important to my father that myself and my brother and sister be raised Catholic so we would all go to Mass every week but something just didn't seem right. I would try to pray the rosary and I would try to make it through Mass without falling asleep, but I just couldn't focus because it didn't really mean anything to me. I really enjoyed the times when I got to go to my mom's church, but my dad just always wanted us to go to Catholic Church as well, so we usually skipped the second church service. When I went off to college, I loved my newfound freedom. I was consumed with my social life and all that mattered to me was the guys, the partying, the going out. I tried to go to church and I always loved God, but for some reason I just never really enjoyed the Catholic Church, so I just never went back. Sometimes I would just lie awake at night and cry because I knew I was on the wrong track, but I didn't really know where to go. After college I started a job that required me to travel almost constantly. It was like an extension of college, really. I traveled with people my age and we loved to party. So one day when I was killing time in the bookstore, I saw the Left Behind series on the shelf and decided to pick up the first book. Now, I know that most Christians don't give that much credibility anymore, but from there I read that first book and it really changed my life. I 
was motivated to find a new church finally. I was motivated to read God's Word, and I was just really excited about Jesus. The best word to describe my life now that I know Jesus is happy. I'm truly amazed at God's grace and His patience with me as I've made it through this time, and that He can still love me no matter what. After the 9 o'clock service this morning, I had uh, somebody come up to me from the worship team, and he said, uh, I don't want you to freak out, but I just want to share something with you. I said, what is it? He goes, last year, you know, when you guys were baptizing people and people were sharing testimony, I said, yeah. He goes, my wife saw an angel sitting next to every single one of them as they were sharing their testimony. I don't know what, where you're at theologically, you know, on that whole, like, whether you believe in angels, demons, spirits, and all that. Um, what's encouraging was she, this guy's wife, not the type of person at all. At, so she went home just shivering because it just freaked her out, Okay. So this year, if y'all see angels, just go, hey! <laughs> Let me know. One other thing. If I forget to take this off before I go in the pool, go, hey! Okay? Because <laughs> it's very expensive, and I don't want to ruin it. Come on over, guys. Stand right here. Come on, right here. Yeah, you can clap. You can clap. You can clap. Um, even as we talk about new heavens and new earth through creation the reality is the bible says you want to see an evidence of how god is doing this work so you don't need to look far look in the lives of men and women people's lives in whom christ jesus the son of god has entered via his kingdom and the testimonies that you guys heard of their life transformation small ways in which god says there's hope for you, and there's hope for us. Importantly, there's hope for this world. Uh, baptism is an outward witness of an inward faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Baptism in the church is traditionally called a sacrament, which refers to an outward visible sign of an inward invisible spiritual reality. We are very clear in this church that baptism does not save anyone. Baptism does not bring about salvation or forgiveness of sins. Faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone does that. Amen? And so what we're doing here is being obedient actually to the commands of Jesus that said, as you believe in me, baptize, be baptized, and go, others, uh, and go baptize others as well, Matthew 28. Christian baptism is an act of obedience to this command of Jesus. And they're declaring by their act faith in and identification with their crucified, buried, and risen Savior. What you're going to see today is as your brothers and sisters, one by one, go down into the water, Romans chapter 6 tells us that that is a symbol, a metaphor of our death to sin. When Christ died and was buried with our sin, as I said before, earlier today, that's us identifying with him such a way that the penalty that he paid for our sins, done. There's no more penalty to be paid. And then I'm going to bring them up out of the water. And that represents the resurrection to new life, to new hope, to new creation. The men and women that are standing before you are not just doing this out of formality. They're declaring their identification with Jesus. They're declaring publicly to you today that their allegiance is to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And him and him alone. And that's powerful stuff. Amen? All right. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead and ask your brothers and sisters questions. And they will respond. Will you continue to walk with Jesus Christ 
as you desire to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you say, I do, say, I do. Proclaiming this covenant with Jesus Christ, do you renounce all powers of evil and declare your opposition to way of life and contradiction to the gospel? If you do, say, I do. I do. do you repent of your sins, confessing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and living as his faithful disciple? If you do, say, I do. I do. And will you devote yourself to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer? If you will, say, I will. And empowered by the Holy Spirit, will you do all in your power to participate fully in the life of this congregation, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? If you will say, I will. will. Amen. Amen. These are your brothers and sisters, and they're going to be baptized in a moment. Before they do, I'm going to pray real quick. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to break protocol. Normally when we do this, we ask that you hold your applause until everybody's been baptized. and then. But I, I noticed that it actually helps after each one. Because we've got family members that are here. So as your son, your daughter, your friend, your brother, sister is being baptized, I give you full permission to stand, to holler, to shout, to scream, do whatever you want to do, to let them know that you love them and that you're there for them. All right. God, we come to you today and uh, we thank you for this powerful work that you've done for us on the cross. The work that reminds us that to those who are in Christ, to those who are in Christ, identified with Christ in his life and in his work of death, there is now no condemnation. All sins have been forgiven. All payment has been made. And promise of new life and new hope awaits. Father, by their declaration, they're inviting the attack of the enemy. By their declaration, they're inviting, Father, challenges and hardships from the enemy as he would come and derail them in their walk with you and their passion for you. We pray right now, Jesus, that you would empower them in the power of your Holy Spirit, God, in the fullness of your Holy Spirit, God. And as they come out this morning, may they hear, Lord, may they hear the words that you heard, Jesus, as you rose from your baptism, the voice of the Heavenly Father saying, you are my son, you are my daughter in whom I am well pleased. You are mine. You belong to me. We thank you for this incredible day, celebration and joy. In Jesus' name, amen. You're a child of God. You are identified with Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. In the name of the Father, and the Holy Spirit. You are his beloved. He's died for you, he's risen for you. Live your life for his glory and for his mission. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are his beloved. He loves you beyond all measure. He's died for you. He's risen for you. And as a result, there's hope. Go live your life for his mission. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
He has died for you. He has risen for you. He wants to use you for the mission of his kingdom. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I baptize you. Y'all don't even know, Katia was real nervous, you know, about doing this. Um, I told her, I said, uh, when you get out of the water, the whole church is going to stand and holler. <laughs> okay. Katia, <laughs> you are a beloved child of God. Your testimony was blessing along with the rest. He has spoken to you. His presence is in your life. Live your life for Him. He has died for you. He has risen for you. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. stand from where we're at. The worship team, can we give them a big hand as well for the work that they've done? <laughs> Father, we thank you and praise you. He has risen. Say it with me, church. He has risen indeed. Say it again. He has risen. He has risen indeed. So therefore, go. Therefore, go. You have a mission on your life to be agents of God's healing and God's restoration. He has given you his Holy Spirit who lives inside of you to do that which you cannot do on your own, to magnify, to glorify, and to spread and share the gospel of Jesus Christ in our hurting and broken world. He is with you. He goes before you, behind you, beside you. Go in boldness and encourage and knowing that his grace and his love is over you because he has risen. He has risen indeed. Amen and amen.